0: Sermon reading for this morning is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the word of the Lord. So we are in Revelation this morning. And as we go through Revelation, there's really two truths that we've got to keep at the top of our mind. First, throughout the book of Revelation... It becomes immensely clear that Satan has power. And that the devil is willing and able to do war with every single human being in this world, and that he's also willing to do battle with God's church. That he's going to always rage against it, and that he's not going to stop. But then there's a second thing for us to keep in mind God wins. And that's sort of where we pick up our reading for today from Revelation is that part where God wins, where God claims victory over Satan both now and forevermore. And as we think about that, I want you to consider where are we at today? Where are we at in our own personal struggle? And where are we at in our struggle through this world with our brothers and sisters in Christ? The apostle John, he starts in Revelation. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. It seems like a pretty big picture. A lot's going on there. A new heaven and a new earth. How are we supposed to understand that? Essentially what we hear John saying here is what he saw was this earth fundamentally changed. That God had promised a new heaven and a new earth that when judgment day rolls around, everything that you see around you is going to stop looking the way it does. So much so that even the fundamentals, the things that you would expect would be constants, the sea itself would be no more. That's something that we can look forward to. A world that doesn't have all of the tatteredness and the tornness And the wickedness and the corruption that we look around and we see in our world today. And it's really highlighted by by the next verse when he says, Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It must have been a really cool thing for the Old Testament people to think about this new Jerusalem. A little bit of history there. Jerusalem had been the capital of the nation of Israel dating back to the time of King David. And now we're talking about shortly after Jesus died and went to heaven. And for years and years and years, people had such high aspirations for that that city of Jerusalem. It was the place where the temple was, it was where God Himself dwelled among His people. It was flawed. It was sieged, it was captured, it was, it was corrupted. This city that everybody wanted to be, this grand, beautiful city, was constantly under siege. And was full of sinners that constantly, constantly rebelled against God. So much so that we see Jesus talk in Matthew 23. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent, the sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Jerusalem was that place that everybody wanted wanted it to finally be the thing that it was supposed to be, and it never was. And maybe we take that comparison into the world in which we live today and we look around. And we see the way that our world works and we go, why can't it just be different? Why can't the order of things just be a little bit different? Why can't, why can't Christians triumph and, and unbelievers see how good it is to be a Christian? Why is it that we're stuck suffering for the faith? Why is it that, that once you become a Christian, things sometimes get a little more tricky? That doesn't seem right. That seems like a a bad order of things. It seems like that's not how God created it. And it's not. God never had any intentions for for any of this to happen. He He never wanted sin to come into the world. God created a good and a perfect world and he said, I want my people to dwell in it. But it was Adam and Eve's sin ours said, that breaks that to pieces. And so now we as Christians in this world are left to struggle. So much so that Jesus promises it to us. Uh, In 2 Timothy, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You signed up for it. That's essentially what Jesus is saying, is is the life of the Christian is normally going to be, not abnormally, normally going to be one that is full of strife, of persecution, of mockery. And you signed up for it? Why? I think it's at those moments where we kind of think, you know what would be really nice is if I could just kind of be a quiet Christian. I don't have to make it the number one thing in my life. I don't have to make sure everybody knows I'm a Christian. I can be my Christian. I'll go to church on Sunday. It'll all be good. But I don't need everybody else knowing about it because some people think, some people think it's kind of silly. We want to be these, the the quiet Christian that, that stays out of the limelight, that that doesn't make, that doesn't make waves. And if we just don't don't keep our head up, if we just put our head down. And try not to attract attention to ourselves. Maybe people won't make fun of us for our faith. Maybe it won't be a problem. Maybe I won't face mockery and and persecution. But that's not how we should do it, should we? No, instead we listen to the words of St. John in Revelation. And we look forward to a different time when it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. Did you hear that? It's that moment that our faith is no longer faith anymore, but it's sight. Because brothers and sisters, you will be mocked because you have the audacity to say that Scripture is what it is, that it's the true inspired word of God. It's God speaking directly to his people, immutable, unchangeable. You will be mocked if you say, yes, Jesus was true God and true man. People might look at you and go, that doesn't seem right. If you would if you would tell people that you believe that the world was created in seven days the the exact way that God says it was created, seven normal days, people would look at you and go, you are a lunatic. Brothers and sisters, we know we're going to be mocked for our faith. And so we get to look forward to a day when we don't have faith anymore. We have sight. When we get to look eye to eye with our Heavenly Father who breathed the words into Scripture, who laid the foundations of the universe, when we get to look eye to eye with our Savior, true God and true man who came in the flesh to save us, we get to look and see and hear and touch. We get to look forward to that time when no one could possibly say that we're wrong because the proof is right in front of us. That's why we celebrate All Saints Day. Because we have brothers and sisters right now, maybe some that we've never met before, up in heaven right now, getting to bask in those things, in those certainties, in those things that are no longer just hopes or wishes or dreams or anything like that, but they are realities for them. And as we go through that, go through this, this struggle of life, we keep that at the forefront of our mind, that God has prepared something immensely better for us, for the people that he loves and for the people that love him back. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and they, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but I've heard that there are some elections this week. Because, you know, I have a phone and a TV. And there's a lot of people that are going into elections thinking if we can just elect this person If we can just vote this way, then everything's going to be good. Then the world will be put back together, the corruption will flee, and everything in my life is going to be fantastic. Brothers and sisters, we know that that's not what God's promised. No, I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about the elections. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. You should absolutely care. It's It's a wonderful blessing that we have that, that we're able to, to voice our opinions for the future of our country. But don't put your trust in it. That, that some sinful human being is ga- going to be able to put the creation back together. No, we know that that alone rests in the hand of God. And we don't have to get all wishful in our thinking, hoping that somebody will finally be able to restore things to our normalcy. Instead, we can look so much farther ahead, look to these verses and know that God has promised that he's going to restore everything to a better, unimaginably better way of living for us. It's a promise. It's not a hope. And we know that those promises of God are are unbreakable. We know that he is certain in every single thing that he says to us. When he makes a promise like he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We know that every single one of those promises is true. It's kind of cool. It's almost like we get a funeral text when we don't actually have a funeral going on in church today. As God tells us, he promises to us, that things are going to be different for us. You know, you go to a funeral and you see a body and you see a a spouse that lost their lifelong partner. You see parents that lost a child. How do you not look at that scene and go, this is not how it's supposed to be? This is not what God intended. This This is not right. And it's in that moment that we remember these verses, that there will come a time where that is no more, where the tears of death are completely dried up. And we can live knowing that when when our loved ones pass away, when they die in Christ, they die well. Because while there might be crying and sadness around them here on earth, around their their empty body, we know that they have taken a step into heaven, taken a breath, and said, finally, finally it's done. I don't know how many people did long road trips for their family vacations when they were younger. Mine only did a couple because they didn't go so hot every single time. I remember one, we went from Illinois to Denver, Colorado. Uh, about a 12, what should have been a 12, wound up being a 14-hour trip. And I remember we, we got up early in the morning, and we, we all packed up into our Mercury Villager. My dad gets behind the wheel, and we start driving. And it's me and my two brothers in the back seat of that van. And you can imagine how quickly things deteriorated in that car a lot of uh, stop-touching-me's, a lot of anger, a lot of blame, a lot of screaming. And then all of a sudden, my little brother, who was like four at the time, had the nerve to get sick in the middle of the trip. And as you can imagine, that smell doesn't come out of carpet. (laughs) And so there we are. We're we're hurtling towards Denver, Colorado, with my dad driving this van as fast as he could possibly drive it. And we realize that this vacation was not worth it. It was not worth the struggle that we were going through. But then we saw it. As we cross in to eastern Colorado, there are the mountains. And we're almost there, right? Wrong. Because as we as little kids didn't realize, you see the mountains quite a bit before you wind up in Denver, Colorado. And the are we there yet came out. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And finally, my dad pulls into the parking lot of the downtown Denver Embassy Suites, and we were there yet. And you know what? We didn't think about the trip anymore. We were happy to be where we were supposed to be, and the trip, which was 14 hours long, was nothing compared to having the run of this hotel all to ourselves. Right now, you might be in the middle of a a trip that's very trying. Broken relationships. Anger. Corruption, anxiety, depression. We all have our stuff. We all have our baggage that we're carrying into our church today. The things that, that weigh us down, the things that make us think we are never going to get to the end of this trip. It's that moment that God says... Just keep looking forward. You are almost there. But no, brothers and sisters, you are not supposed to get there by your own. I am going to drag this van as fast as I possibly can to get you right where I want you to be at home with me. In a place where as it says towards the end of our reading for today, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. We're heading to a place where all of those thirsts are satisfied. Those thirsts for knowledge to know more about God, satisfied. Those thirsts for forgiveness, completely and utterly satisfied. So much so, that while we are in heaven, we no longer have to turn to God and say, I'm sorry I messed up again. Forgiveness is no more. Because we don't need it anymore. Because our will is in perfect line with our Heavenly Father. So don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. Know that the struggle is already won. Victory is yours. And prepare to rest with those saints that have fallen asleep before us and to rest in the loving arms of our Savior. Amen.